Coming from school and getting into the real world was a slap in the face. It was a shock because in architecture school, you're always the, we call them star architects. You're always the architect. You're designing, you're thinking outside the box, you're solving problems. And as an entry level employee, it's almost in some ways the polar opposite. This is The New School with your host, Christine Hong. Welcome to a new kind of school, where we talk about career paths you don't normally get to hear about in the classroom. Every episode, I talk to someone with an interesting life path and learn about how they got to where they are today. Hey guys, Christine here, and welcome back to another episode of The New School Podcast. First of all, we want to hear from you. What's been your experience with the New School Podcast? What kind of guests or career feature do you really want to see next? Let us know what you want to listen to, and we will find that guest and interview them on the show. So text us your thoughts at 765-343-9840. I personally read all the text messages. For this episode, I always got the impression that people in high-powered jobs like lawyers, doctors, and architects, they always knew they wanted that job like forever, which is why I kind of felt really out of place growing up because I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. But our guest today proves that this is not the case. Michael Risica struggled with school. In his own words, he was a special ed student, and he didn't have a plan for graduation. In fact, he barely graduated high school. But a chance job at an interior design company helped him realize that he actually had really great problem-solving skills. A coworker encouraged him to pursue architecture, and after an insane amount of hard work and studying for the notorious industry architecture exams, he finally qualified as a licensed architect. After stint working for the city of Portland and in his own architecture practice, he now helps to train the next generation of architects. In this conversation, Michael explains what the different niches are within architecture and how to pick the right one, what a day-to-day is really like, and what makes a good architect. Michael also reveals what drives him nuts about being an architect and what he really loves about the job. Spoiler alert, it's the people. I mean, I guess to start, I'm kind of wondering what your childhood was like. Were you always interested in becoming an architect growing up? No, not at all. I was, I was kind of a wild kid. I grew up as a teenager in New Jersey, right outside New York City. I was constantly in New York City going to punk rock shows in the 90s. And as a kid, I, I always struggled with school. I was a special ed student. I struggled with reading and writing. I barely graduated high school. They wanted me to write some standardized essay on some test. Um <laughs> And I just, I never actually passed the test. Eventually my school said, all right, this kid shows up every day. Let's kind of push this one through. And uh, so I graduated high school with really no strong direction in my life. I had worked in restaurants a little bit. I made decent money doing that. And I really kind of had no plan. When I was about 21 years old, my mom got me this job working for an interior designer who did uh, kitchens. That's the only room they worked on was kitchens. And they said, if you could learn how to draw these cabinet boxes with AutoCAD, we'll give you a job doing some drafting. I taught myself how to use AutoCAD with a book and my whole life changed. I realized that I had all these skills with thinking three-dimensionally and problem solving that never really got tapped into as a kid. And it never really came out in my education. And it started with architectural drafting. I started studying drafting. I went to community college and I ended up getting a job with an architect's office while I was studying drafting. 
And I started to think I might want to go to architecture school. I ended up coming to Boston. I went to the Boston Architecture Center for the first two years. It was a work-study program. I felt like everyone really dissuaded me from going into a full-fledged, full-time student architecture school. But as soon as I got to architecture school, my whole life changed. And I really started to say, oh my God, I can do this. For the first time in my life, I did really well in school. I was only going to school at maybe like 50% the pace as a regular full-time student. I decided to move back to New York. I lived with my grandparents for four or five years. And I finished uh, my bachelor's degree at the New York Institute of Technology as a full-time student. You realize you like design 3D, but I I was wondering, why did you decide architecture? That's going to be the career. It didn't start that way. When I went to community college, it was always under the premise. It was a drafting. I was really learning how to draw. It was always you would work for an architect. How did the drafter and architect work together? What are the two different roles like? Well, drafting is more about working in an office and doing drawings and kind of communicating other people's ideas. It wasn't teaching you how to design or to really put the pieces together. And rather than designing our own buildings, we would draw other people's buildings. It was working in an office and really seeing the ins and outs of how people practice architecture. I really got a strong push from one of the guys in my office at a very young age that like, yeah, you should really get into design. You should really learn how to design and get a traditional architecture degree. But I was even, I had such low self-confidence, you know, from my early years struggling through school. I wasn't sure if I could really do it or this or that. And so I, I decided to go to the Boston Architecture Center where it was, I would work 40 hours a week and then go to school at night to kind of get my feet wet and see if this was something that I was really good with. As soon as I started learning design and really started designing my own school projects, I just took off like a rocket. And I said, there's, it was like no looking back. Yeah, you just loved coming up with ideas for designs, not just drawing them. In some ways, it was just working on projects and putting all the pieces together. I always say that like I'm a project manager through and through. I'm okay at a little bit of doing all the different pieces, but it's really kind of orchestrating all the different moving parts and making them all fit together and overseeing all of that. I'm I'm very much a generalist rather than just a specialist. Was there something more appealing to you for buildings and project managing other types of things? It really started as a general education for me. If you want to get a design degree, it's just thinking about buildings and solving problems and understanding how does it relate? How does all this information that doesn't make any sense result into informing how the shape of a function of a building and how things operate and how all the different pieces fit together has always been something that's fascinated me. So yeah, I just kept running with with architecture school, just really connecting to my passion with the projects and learning and the rich history of architecture and the theory and the fundamentals and the basics of it. I had always really honed in and focused on that. So you go to architecture school and you really connect with it. You you love the work. Was that pretty straightforward, just getting your degree and then moving on to your first internship or job after? Yeah, it was interesting for me. It took me seven and a half years to get a five-year bachelor's of architecture. I I got good grades the whole time. It was because I went to three different schools and finally graduated. So I graduated architecture school and I did a bike ride across America. And I I decided before we left that I was going to make it a one-way. So I showed up in Portland, Oregon in the summer of 2007, right before the recession. On a bike, my dad mailed me a box of clothes and I pretty much started a whole new life. I started my career on the West Coast. I ended up getting a job with a small firm that did a little bit of a lot of different things. They were very much a generalist firm too. They did you know, churches and schools and a lot of government work and university projects. But coming from school and getting into the real world, was a, it was a slap in the face. It was a shock because in architecture school, You're always the, we call them star architects. You're always the architect. You're designing, you're thinking outside the box, you're solving problems. And as an entry-level employee, 
it's almost in some ways the polar opposite. It's all about process and understanding business and learning how to move these projects along and really the execution. It was a lot of paper pushing and following and not really being creative, more about the execution of it. And that was a transition that took me a long time. It probably took me a year and a half to figure out. So many creative schools, they prepare you for the ideal time when you're a leader and have creative control and don't prepare you at all for like realities of being at entry level. Absolutely. Once I figured that out, it really changed. Like I've only got the, the beginning phase of the architect's education. The next phase is learning how to make things happen in reality. And once I figured that out, man, it, it just unlocked a lot of doors for me with kind of the, the next steps of my career. From that point, I started studying for my architect exams. It was an interesting time because by the time I had shown up and got my first job, I had a couple of years of experience working on summers and weekends and for different architects, but there was so much I didn't know. And when I started studying for taking the architect registration exam, it gave me such a tremendous education on how the business of architecture works and you know how to manage a project and how to get things done that long before I passed all my exams, the knowledge that I've got from studying really started helping me do my day job. And I really embraced that for a long time. And so I started working on my architect exam. It was kind of a mess. There was not a lot of info and insight around it. What, what do you need the exam for? Well, I say architect exam, but it was really seven exams I had to pass to get my license, to, to call myself an architect and to start practicing. It's a three-part process. You have to get the right degree. You got to fulfill apprenticeship hours, experience hours working for a licensed architect, and then you got to pass the exam, which for me was seven exams. And it oh took me between, you know, two to three months studying for each one of them. I ended up failing four tests along the way, and it ended up taking me four and a half years to complete my architect exams, but I finally got it. I finally accomplished the goal, and uh, I could finally call myself an architect. I got my license to practice architecture. That's awesome you kept going for so long. How long does it normally take? On average, it takes people two to three years. Wow, that. I just never heard Xana take so long. Yeah, it's huge. It's a monster. It was a monster And uh, everyone's process. expected to have a day job and just study for the exam at night to finally pass. And that was the problem. There was so much bad information out there when I was trying to take my tests and no one was helping. I failed all no these- Kaplan book or something? There was, but there, was, there were two resources, Kaplan and PPI, and they weren't that good and there were mistakes in the books. And I think what frustrated me the most when I was doing my exams was no one was talking about it in a realistic way. They would say, look at this guy, he passed his exams in six months. What was interesting about it was that the skills that brought me success in architecture school, you know, being creative, thinking outside the box, taking risks, they were the same skills that actually handicapped me and made it harder for me to pass my exams. So it was a, it was a real push for me to, to, to get through that. But I finally, and I almost didn't even make it. <laughs> I almost just abandoned the whole thing altogether. But oh, You almost gave it all up just because of its task? Well, it wasn't, it was just, there was just so many things happening. The recession had happened. I had to take a break from it in the middle because I was unemployed. The office ran out of work for me. I couldn't pay my rent or my bills. And I got to the structural engineering portion of the exam. I said, there's no way in hell I'm ever going to be able to get past this test. Um, really? Yeah, that, that was a challenge for me. But eventually I said, I'm going to do it. And I dove back in and I, and I got to work and I, and I finished my exams. Yeah. What made you want to keep going even when you're getting laid off? It was, I, I always had this vision that someday I would figure out architecture. And my uncle said something to me once. We were actually talking about living in New York City, something about how he f had figured out how to make New York City work for him. 
rather than work against him and work in his favor. And I wanted to figure out how do I get architecture to work with me and for me rather than me working for architecture. And getting my license, starting my own business was always something that I had dreamed of. If I wanted to be successful, having this piece of paper, this license was was almost a prerequisite towards getting there. And at the same time, I'd already realized that I was getting such a tremendous education from it. Uh, it was helping me in so many ways. So I got, I had in some ways I had to kind of suck it up and figure out how to get past the structures exam. Do you, do you have a dream building you want to work on? Not really so much. One of the things a lot of people think about architects is that it's all design and pretty pictures and houses <laughs> and in designing skyscrapers and things. And I would say the bulk of the work that I've done as an architect has never made it in a magazine or is any prolific thing. I've done a lot of very functional, like cool little projects, but are not not like you know, in the magazines or winning awards or all of these things. After doing so many projects for so long and so many different capacities, what I've learned is that I would rather work on a very boring project with an amazing group of people who I like working with than work on a really flashy, amazing, impressive building with a group of people who are miserable working long hours and all these other things. So after you passed exams, how did you decide where to work next? Well, what happened was my day job working at the architecture firm started to, to dry up during the recession. They kept me employed through the worst of it. But as 2011 came along, they were running out of work for me. Is and the apprenticeship you had? or Yeah, this was yeah, so it was my first job out of architecture school. I was with them for a couple of years. And, um, Did school help you get that? No, no. I, uh, yeah, I found, actually, I found them on Craigslist. I, I, I was in oh, Portland, man. Oregon. They, they advertised they were looking for some help, and I just, they ended up hiring me. Uh, I, it, was, it was a big risk, but they, they took me on. So as they ran out of work for me, the city of Portland, Oregon reached out, and they said, hey, man, we got this job. We're getting ready to build one of these buildings you've been working on for, for a while. We need some help. Would you be willing to help us and come work for the city of Portland, Oregon as a project manager, as the owner's representative? And I was, it was almost a no brainer. I said, I'm not doing anything else. I'm collecting unemployment right now. And so I took on that job and it was a ton of fun. I always say rather than trying to make money with architecture and construction, I was now spending money on architecture and construction and hiring architects all over town, contractors, engineers, and it was project management on speed. And I was now the one spending the money, making the decisions. And I had all these people working for me. I ended up doing a lot of work for the Portland Police Bureau. We renovated every building. We built new buildings for them. We, I just, they were my number one client working for the city of Portland. When I was at the city, I got my license. And after getting the license, I said, you know, there's gotta be a better way. No one's talking about this thing realistically. And from my perspective, the profession of architecture was not trying to create more licensed architects. There were so many gatekeepers and barriers along the way. And so after I was done with my exam, suddenly I had a new void in my life. I had all this new space and time. I said, I'm starting a blog. I'm going to start a blog at youngarchitect.com. And I'm going to talk about getting my license, going through architecture school, my opinions, my thoughts. And I said, if I could just help a couple of people figure out how to have success in their architecture careers, like mission accomplished, man, you know, I just, there's gotta be a better way. No one's sharing realistic information. And so I started blogging about my exams and how I studied and my methodology, my mindset and how I failed. And the blog just took off like a rocket. Very quickly, it gained a lot of traction. And someone said to me one day, they said, Mike, until you and Young Architect came along, everyone always just said the architect exam's easy. Everyone's passing these tests in six months. And you're the first person to ever say, I failed a lot of tests. 
Um, it's, it's a lot of hard work, but if you really want to become a licensed architect, you can accomplish this goal. You just got to be persistent. That's the real secret. You just have to be persistent. You can't take no for an answer. No one ever told that story before. And that's the reason the blog took off. Because you're the first honest person. Probably. Yeah. And one of the things that I've always talked about, and I still do to this day, but I say, if you look at studying for these exams, like it's an annoying chore and it's like, oh, I got to study for my exams. This process is just going to beat you up every step of the way. And it's going to be absolutely miserable. But if you can connect and really understand that studying for these exams is going to make you a better professional, it's going to help you earn more money. It's going to help you have more success in your life. And if you can connect to that and look at it as an opportunity to study for these exams, you'll get so much more out of the process. And that was a big part of the messaging back then and still today with a lot of the stuff that I do around the architect exam. When you were an architect at your first job, what was your day to day like? I'd roll in, I don't know, nine o'clock. <laughs> um, there was always a project going on. And so I'd, I was a small firm. And typically in a small office, you get involved in lots of different levels of the project. In some ways, you get more hands-on in all the different phases because it's smaller. Whereas I spent one year working in a large office and I felt like part of the machine, the architecture machine. And I was just doing one thing over and over and over again. I very quickly at a young age learned that I like working in smaller offices because it's hands-on. I'm talking to the client. I'm doing the construction documents. I'm measuring the buildings. I'm doing the presentations. I'm taking out the trash. I spent a lot of time in AutoCAD drawing, putting together sets of documents. And I would go down to the, the city and meet with the plans examiners and pull permits, meet with contractors, show up at construction sites, making sure that they're following the drawings appropriately. Oh, well, so just everything you need to get the building made, basically. Yeah. yeah. I guess I, I was curious because buildings usually take like years to make. Do people usually stay at the same firm for that long? Y yes and no. I think kind of bounces all over the place. So some people love working in big offices. Some people like in small offices. The beautiful thing about architecture is there are so many different opportunities and little niches and options and things that you can do under the architecture umbrella. That was a big part of the first five, 10 years of my career was figuring out what my skills and what my strengths are, my interests underneath that architecture umbrella. Can you elaborate a bit more on the different niches and how you pick the one that's best for you? The traditional path is to go to architecture school, get your license, start an architecture firm, hire clients who need buildings. They hire the architect and they stamp the drawings and they make buildings. So that's the traditional route. There's also people become experts in CAD or BIM or renderings or stuff like that. That traditional architect isn't an expert in all the different subjects. They might need a specialist in waterproofing or facades of a building or understanding. So there are people that specialize in different topics as well. A lot of people who have architecture educations get into construction. How do most people figure out which one they want to do? Or do you have any advice on how to pick one? It doesn't come right away. Um, for me, in my experience, it was trying a lot of different things, trying working in a large firm for a year, realizing I absolutely hate it, and then adjusting accordingly from that. I think the best way to figure out what your niche is in architecture and anything is trial and error. It's gathering data and seeing what you can learn from it and operating from there. What's it like working on a building from like conception to finish? Have you done that a lot? Yeah, in, in a lot of different ways too. What a lot of people don't realize about architecture and architects and design is that the smallest piece of the project is actually designing the building. When I worked for the city of Portland, me, an architect, one of the clients, someone from the police department and an interiors person, we sat down at a conference table for an hour and a half and we figured out the whole design. And then from that point, 
we spent the next year and a half executing it and finishing the drawings and the documents, getting approvals, doing the construction, hiring a contractor and all the different pieces. And while yes, it takes years to build a building, it's all of the other parts. We, we designed the big picture, but now understanding how do all these pieces fit together in a way that you can convey it to someone that can actually get built. That's where the bulk of the time goes. Do you have a favorite building you've ever worked on? I think of it more in teams because it's not the building that really means much to me. It's the experience. It's who I'm working with. Like I've worked on some really cool buildings that are people are like, wow, you worked on that. But for me personally, it was a miserable time in my life because I hated the people we were working with. There was lots of issues. We're fighting with the contractor. They're not building it right. We're having problems with our permit. There are issues that we were dealing with that were outside of our control. And so, yes, that's a cool, that's a really cool looking building. It was actually a pretty miserable time in my life. Does that make sense? You know, it totally does. I, I think it's cool. You're like, I prioritize the journey, not like yeah. the goal, like the actual experience. Yeah. Going back to this blog you were talking about, you said it really took off and this is just like a, a fun side project for you while you were working at first. So I was working for the city of Portland as an owner's representative. I wasn't an architect, even though I got my license at that time. I wasn't playing the role of an architect. And I asked the city, I said, hey, I just got my license. Would it be okay if I was an architect on nights and weekends and I started doing a bunch of little house projects? And they said, we don't have a conflict of interest. There's no issue here. And so I got my license and I started moonlighting like crazy. I teamed up with this builder who was landing all these residential house project clients. It was like a design build relationship. So the builder and the architect were working together. He was finding the clients. He would bring me in to do the design work and get the permits. And I would do all the drawings, we get the project designed, and then I, in some ways I would pass it off to the builder and he would work with the client and get it built within their budgets. And we did a whole series of those projects, but at the same time, Young Architect was just taken off. And so it started making money. I monetized it with Amazon affiliate links and this was like 2014. And then eventually I ended up putting out a book about how to pass the architect exam, a little black book. I say it's an easy to read self-help book about the architect exam. And what started to happen from there was people would read this book and they came to me and they said, Mike, I want to hire you. I want a coach. I need a tutor. I need a leader. I need a guide. I need to pass my exams. I don't care what you charge, but I need help. And I said, no, because the biggest problem with this architect exam is that everyone's on an island. You know, they're, they're not talking to the other people on the islands. There's no clear direction as to how to go through this. There's no deadlines for people that need deadlines. And I said, I, I don't want to work one-on-one -on -one with people. And as more and more people kept asking literally for the same thing, I said, all right, let's do an experiment. How about I take a group of people who are all studying for their exams and let's treat it like a design studio. The same way we were in architecture school, I'll create the syllabus, the schedule, the milestones, the deadlines, and then you guys go study. And then let's come back together once a week and see what we can learn from each other. And so I created this program about five years ago called the Airy Bootcamp. And uh, I always make this terrible joke you know that movie Groundhog's Day with Bill Murray where he keeps reliving the same day over and over and over again? That's yeah, me. Yeah. That's me in my life for the past five years. Is for, the <laughs> it's the yeah, it's the it's helping people with boot camp. It's a 10-week program. So I've gone through the same 10 weeks over and over and over again. And at this point, Airy Boot Camp is a big part of my life and what I do now is is helping people pass their exams and get licensed. Were you like the one of the first boot camps of this kind to help people with architecture exams? Yeah, there's tons of textbooks and study materials and things out there, but there's really no one guiding or coaching. One of the things I've learned is with this architect exam, it's not about 
talent. It's not about being book smart. You know, what the real deciding factor over who gets licensed and who doesn't is time. It's a time consuming project. And you might be the smartest person in the world, but if you don't have the time to sit down and do this work and work through these things, you're not going to get there. And so, yeah, so I've been running this program for the past five years and it's really taken off and um, it's been really powerful. But when I talk about it, one of the things I'm really passionate about, it's not just passing a stupid test. I look at it as an opportunity to embrace the next generation of architects and really help them connect with going through this process with becoming better architects. And I look at the ARI bootcamp as an opportunity to disrupt the profession of architecture. Your youngarchitect.com program, right? Yeah, it all kind of branches off the website. What do you think makes a good architect? It's the ability to synthesize information and listening on a deep level, not just on the verbal level, understanding the unsaid communication that people are having and understanding and how to take this data and interpret it into information which will inform a building. I think that is is everything. We all have different skill sets. And I think what makes a great architect is understanding what your skills are and what you bring to the table and effectively implementing that into anything you're working on. Yeah, wait, hopping off that, what do you think is the most common misconception about being an architect? The common misconception, I think, is probably that it's designing. It's really it's designs a, a piece of architecture. It's not the whole story. You go through this crazy education, you get this insane license. And depending on what your situation is, like generally speaking, it doesn't pay very well. What pulled me through all of this is um, it's the, it's the passion. It's understanding that, OK, I might not make a lot of money. The odds are stacked against me. This is going to be a rough career, but I'm doing it anyway. And I'm going to show up with enthusiasm and keep doing it and keep pushing and seeing what I could learn along the way and wait for opportunities to happen. When you were an architect, what was your favorite and least favorite thing? Let's talk about my least favorite first. There was a lot of things in architecture when I was working in offices that didn't work for me in my life. In school, I traveled all over the world and I was looking at famous buildings, studying great architects. I was taking you know, abroad programs. As soon as I graduated, I didn't go anywhere for 10 years because it's very hard to step away or take time off. That was one of my biggest issues. A big part of it is the paper pushing. The nine to five, I think is, is not reality. Um, I think that works for some professions and some jobs. But while I might not be sitting at my desk drawing drawings, I was thinking about how to solve problems while I was walking my dog. So it takes over your whole life. There's a lot that you don't get compensated for. There's a lot that happens behind the scenes. That drove me nuts. I, I hated that having the once a year opportunity to ask for a raise. It drove me nuts. So I'd say those were the things that I struggled with. What I loved about it is, and I still love about it, is that there's a community of people that I see under the architecture umbrella. Everyone who went to architecture school, while we've all gone and had different experiences at different places, it's still very much a same experience. And I feel like there's a common bond with people who have gone through that architecture education. We all know how we, we all kind of, in a weird way, we all kind of think the same. And the people I've met through architecture has been phenomenal. I love working with clients and finishing projects and seeing things get built. For the longest time, when I was working in architecture offices, especially when I was a student, I would do work on drawings and do all these drawings, drawings, drawings. And it was a long time before I actually started to see in real life what I drew. That's always a very rewarding feeling is to, to see something that you would put a lot of time and energy and, and have really given a, a big piece of who you are toward this project. To see that come to life has been tremendous. 
Yeah, I can't imagine. So you said you were doing a lot of these architecture boot camps and you're balancing with your job. How did that work? Is that just like all your time, basically? Yeah, well, what happened was I was working for the city of Portland, Oregon, and I was on the inside. And, I was, and as an architect working for this government agency, if you don't know anything about Portland, their headquarters is in downtown Portland, Oregon. It's called the Portland Building. It was designed by this very famous architect, Michael Graves. He designed the Portland Building back in the early 80s. It's a symbol of postmodern architecture. It's got this weird design to it on the outside. It's got this weird outfit on. It's the the poster child for this. And I showed up to this this Portland building every day for about five years. And I said, I hate this building. It's actually a symbol of everything I am against as a licensed architect. It has no regard for the people who work inside of it. It's all about the exterior of the building. And Michael Graves was never happy with it. They made it a a historic landmark. And the city of Portland, Oregon was getting ready to spend $200 million to upgrade the Portland building. And I had already, I had done a ton of work in the building. It's a mess. I said, there's a headache coming to my direction. And Young Architect had started to take off. The boot camp was doing really well. The book had been written by that point. And it was in 2015, I said, I'm going to put all my eggs in this young architect basket. I was actually even still working with the the builder at that time doing uh, house projects. And I said, I'm going all in to young architect. I'm going to leave my comfortable government job with excellent health benefits to focus on this passion project of young architect. And I've just been focusing on young architect ever since. And it's blossomed and grown and changed in so many other ways since then. What's the most difficult decision you've had to make to turn your passions into career? It was leaving my day job. That was terrifying. Oh my gosh. It felt like breaking up with a girlfriend who I knew it wasn't going great for a long time, but she thought everything was great. Everything was fine. And, and actually, the last six months I worked at my job was the most successful because I was, I was checked out. I knew I was leaving. And I stopped pushing. I stopped fighting. I stopped like I I knew I was on my way out of there. I was just kind of hanging around until I was ready to pull the plug. And that was when they're like, you're doing so great. We're so proud of you. We want to give you a raise and all these other things. And I was like, by the time I announced it, it was like my boss had no idea it was coming. It was a shock. But it was really just time for me to move on. But that was the challenge, man. I had a big internal struggle with it. It really it was a pit in my stomach knowing that that was going to happen. When I did that, when I made that move, I kept it very private. I didn't announce it. I didn't tell a whole lot of people. I didn't even tell my parents because I didn't want anyone saying like, oh my God, we're really worried about you. And what if this doesn't work out? What do you mean you're leaving this comfortable government job to go work on a blog full time? So I didn't announce it to anyone. And then year and a half down the road as the young architect getting bigger and bigger, uh, it slowly started to come out that that's all I've been doing. Yeah, you're, you're living off of that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the biggest mistake and the best thing you've done for your career? I think one of the biggest mistakes, which I later corrected, was while Yes Young Architect had grown very quickly through my blogging, through my writing, what I was putting out there, it was the face-to-face one-on-one connection with people. In the first two and a half, maybe even three years, it was me communicating as a name across the internet at a very intense rate, but people didn't know what I looked like or who I was or know my voice or all these things. And as I started to understand who my audience was, bringing myself and my voice and my face and connecting with people one-on-one is what took things to the next level. It was really what skyrocketed. I've learned people like to be connected to a name and a face and a person rather than just a brand and a logo. Once I figured that out, it really started to make the whole young architect thing become a lot more rewarding for me and a lot more humane. So I think just 
it was staying behind the computer for too long and playing Wizard of Oz, you know, the guy behind the curtain. Once I let that go and I just started being more real and being myself, it really corrected and took things a lot farther. Yeah. What do you think is the best thing you did for your career? The best thing that I've done is hire help. Like I said earlier, I'm, I'm a generalist. I know a little bit about a lot of things, but I'm not an expert in any of them. And that's so true in my life. So where I was for a while, I was dropping the ball. Boot camp was doing really good, but I would forget to send this person an email at the right time. I'd forget to do this thing. It was actually the easy things in life that I struggle with. <laughs> it's you got to call this person at this time. Like I would screw that up. It was all these very basic administrative stuff. And I was dropping the ball and Young Architect was, it was plateauing. It was like people were getting mad at me for screwing things up. And for a while I knew I needed help. I needed someone to help me keep the wheels on the bus. And so I hired my first assistant, Joanna, and I didn't even hire her as an assistant. I said, I need someone to help me manage this business. Someone to, to pay attention to what's happening, to follow up with people and to chase things down, make sure this person pays me for this thing I did for them, stuff like that. And so I hired Joanna as a Young Architect business manager in 2017. And it, it turned everything around very quickly. It brought peace in my life rather than constantly screwing everything up. Now I could focus on doing kind of the, the more important stuff, the masterminding, the designing, the creating, the creative artistic work and have someone else kind of follow up. So I hired her and, and then very quickly we realized we actually need a second person. <laughs> and so we hired Destiny about a year later. So hiring the two of them to help me keep the wheels on the bus was really the best thing that I've done because it allows me to, to serve a larger group of people and just really help figure their architecture careers. So for others listening right now, looking to become an architect, what advice would you give them? First off, I think architecture education is one of the best degrees to learn problem solving, thinking outside the box, whether you ever work on buildings or do something else. I even see people get into architecture school uh, to enjoy it, but it helps them actually figure out where they really want to go in life. And then they make a decision like, I'm going to become a lawyer or a doctor or something. I don't know, but I tried architecture. So I think architecture school is such a tremendous testing ground for so many things in life. For people who are really serious about getting into architecture, I think it's understanding that there's so many different avenues and directions you can go under that architecture umbrella and understanding that you might actually have a much more successful architecture career and have a bigger impact on the world by figuring out your niche and becoming a specialist or pursuing something that isn't that traditional path. I felt like a lot of people getting into architecture, they get hammered into the traditional role. You know, you're going to start a firm, do drawings, stamp your drawings with your license, and you know, that's how you go. But I think the other opportunities, there are so many of them out there. We're not all on the same experience and journey. I think that when we open our eyes and see that, oh my gosh, I could use all these skills and leverage what I've learned in architecture school to do. Like for me, it was being an owner's rep. That was a sweet spot for me. I was better at doing that than I was at drawing buildings. I was better at working with a team of people and pulling all the parts together. So I think it's just being open to opportunities and trying to figure out what you're good at and how you can use that to apply to everything under architecture. Well, this is the end of our interview. And usually we give our guests 60 seconds to pitch anything they want. Is there anything you like to pitch? I would just say visit youngarchitect.com. The mission of Young Architect is to help the next generation of architects succeed. It's all about community. It's bringing the community together. And so everything stems out from the website. I'd also say, while you might not be interested in architecture, check out what we're doing anyways. It's a great precedent for other people in different professions and different careers. I get people like I talk to, I have a couple of friends who are studying for the CPA exam and we 
we compare notes, like what's going on in the CPA exam versus the architect exam. So check out what we're doing. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed our chat with Michael. I really love his mission for educating architects and helping them achieve their dream careers. And honestly, I just thought he was such a perfect guest for our podcast and what we're trying to do here at the new school. I'm just so impressed that he kept going despite failing the exams first time around and having it take four years when it should normally take six months. And I think that kind of determination is super inspiring. Stick around to the end of the episode for a sneak peek of our next guest. Make sure to check out our website, thenewschoolpodcast.com. There you can find links to anything mentioned in the episode in our show notes, and you can suggest amazing guests for the show. We also have a newsletter you should definitely sign up for. It's the ultimate weekly guide to turning your passions into a meaningful career. Get every episode as soon as it drops by subscribing to The New School wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a minute, we'd love it if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. To stay up to date on all things The New School, follow us on Instagram at The New School Podcast and on Twitter at The New School Pod. Next week, we're talking to the wonderful Dr. Therese Moscardo. Therese is a therapist specializing in remote workers. In fact, she was doing online therapy way before the pandemic made it a necessity. So Therese shares what it really takes to become a licensed clinical psychologist and what qualities are needed to be a really empathetic and successful therapist. And I remember having this moment of like, wait, hold on a second. You're telling me that I can make a living talking to people all day? Like, I'm sold. Like, that's my dream job. I'm really excited for you to come back next Monday to hear her insights. She's such a warm, genuine person. Honestly, I kept thinking I was talking to Hillary Duff during our entire interview, and I had loads of fun recording this episode. Can't wait to share it with you guys. All right, guys, have a great day. Try something new today. The New School with Christine Hong is produced by Jenny Snyder, Claire Wiley, and Alexia Marsola. Editing by Sydney Salk, John Simpson, and Joseph Cho. Special thanks to our marketing team who help us spread our mission and put the new school name out there. Katie Osaki, Dina Che, Marissa Wolfsheimer, and Giovanni Cortez.